Hey, happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Super excited to have you with us today. Uh, listen, today's episode is brought to us by our good friends over at Portable Church Industries. Listen, if you are a church plant, a multi-site campus, anybody who is looking at reopening their church in a portable location, you need to reach out to portablechurch.com today. Uh, if you go, you'll see a tab there called COVID-19. They are doing consultations for portable churches like you. They're doing virtual consultations to help you think through through the issues that you need to be thinking through in this season, it would be perfect. This is a great time for you to reach out to them. So again, that's portablechurch.com. They really know uh, everything uh, about being portable. Uh, they do system design, they do delivery, uh, consultation, really the whole gamut. But in this season, they would like to help you as you wrestle through with your, all your reopening issues. So again, portablechurch.com forward slash unseminary. Click on the talk to an expert button or follow the tab to COVID-19. All right, well, let's Let's jump in with today's episode. It's going to be a good one. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Super excited to have uh, you listening in today. I think you're going to just love today's conversation as we dive into something that is just very apropos for all of us. We're all thinking about change. How do we lead through change? And you're going to hear uh, just some really good practical advice uh, on that today. We've got uh, a church pathway church. It's a three campus, I believe a three campus church. Uh, one of the fastest in the grow- uh, country from Kansas. Fantastic leader, Larry Wren. Uh, welcome to the show today, Larry. It's great to be here with you and just uh, excited about the opportunity to talk about change. And, you know, my story here at uh, Pathway is a uh, I've been exec pastor for about 20 years, but I've been on staff for 38 years. And uh, so I've done a little bit of everything. Started as children's pastor, and I've done everything but student ministry, and so have lived through a lot of change. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> That's incredible. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the church? Like, tell us, you know, if people, uh, you know, what's kind of your, the normal experience? Obviously, we're recording this in the middle of April, and so we're we're still on kind of the lockdown mode. But uh, give us a sense of the church, maybe a bit of the history, a bit of that. I know it's hard. It's like, tell us the 38 years and 30 or 38 seconds, but give us kind of a, a, a bit of a flavor of your experience and the church and you know, kind of set the scene for us. Yeah, we're a church uh, actually just a little over 60 years old. So we were a church plant started in 1959. And uh, over the years, uh, we've multiplied again, um, built several buildings, and uh, we've been a suburban church. Uh, and uh, our our platform or our, our theology has been pretty basic evangelical. Um, we're a non-denominational church. And uh, We've had just a phenomenal ministry over the years, strong emphasis on student and children's uh, programs, as well as a strong global and local outreach focus, strong focus on uh, discipling, maturing believers, as well as reaching out, particularly in the last 10 years, we've, we've had a stronger outreach uh, to people who are outside the church. And our focus has really been driven more by uh, trying to reach people who are far from God. Hmm, very cool. Well, as you had said, you've, you know, been through a lot of change and um, I'd love to kind of dive in on that a little bit as you think about, well, first of all, the fact that you've been on the staff 38 years, so we're 400 some odd episodes in on the Unseminary podcast, that may be the longest tenured team 
member that I've bumped into that, or at least it's up there. You're, and you know that you're in a, in a, uh, you know, a, a, a rarefied error to have been there and continue to be there and being in, in a, you know, executive pastor seat for almost half of that is, uh, or I guess actually just over half of it. That's, that's pretty amazing. What, when you think about change, how do you, um, how have you led or how have you seen the church led effectively through change? What would be some of those things that when you think about, hmm, here's, here's how we have to lead in that environment? Uh, one of the things our retired senior pastor used to say, I remember his words often, he'd say, the job of the pastor is to push the envelope. So you constantly have mm. to be pushing the envelope, challenging people to the next level, challenging people to a greater mission. How does God want to enlarge the footprint? And so there always has to be that challenge out there. We used to say it this way, if, if you're here and you're just interested in, uh, uh, we're not going to allow you to sit and sour in the pew. We're going to challenge you to move out, to be uh, mobilized in some way. And uh, so that's that's a big part of that, of leading change. At the same time, you have to be careful that you don't lead out so quickly that you leave the majority of people behind and you look behind, there's nobody following mm. you. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that, and over the years we've, there, there've been times when we probably pushed the envelope too hard and we've had to back up a little bit. Other times we haven't pushed it hard enough. And so it's, it's kind of a delicate balance there to, to uh, determine how best you do that to, um, to bring about change. Hmm, interesting. So yeah, that, that makes total sense. The, w- when you think about that, um, on the side where we, you're trying to, you know, move people and, and maybe being a little bit, uh, you know, trying to cast a, a brighter future, move them, see them take a step. What would be some of those things that you've seen be effective or that you've seen, you know, have been effective in helping people, uh, through change, whether it's staff or volunteers? I think um, one of the things is to always focus, go back to what's the mission? Why are we here? What's the Great Commission? Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. look like? And what does that look like in our context? And and mm-hmm. always coming back to that's what we call the why. That's why we're here. And even for me, the easy thing for me is to get stuck on the how and the what. I'm not one of these guys that wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about something new to do. I'm one of these guys that, that wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about how we're going to do something that somebody else is saying, let's do this. And so I'm always Mm -hmm. have to challenge myself uh, not to be so concerned about the what and the how as I am about the why, because the why is always more motivating. Mm -hmm. So from a practical standpoint, we always try and bring people back to that. And if we're thinking about a change, we're coming back to, okay, well, let's get back to the big picture. Why is this an important change? Why is it critical? Mm-hmm. And then try and begin to help people process through that before we get to some of the steps mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what that looks like to get from point A to point B. What, what if, uh, so this is a bit of an ironic question I'm going to ask you, what have been some of the ways that you have uh, seen keeping the why in front of people the most effective. So how have you, is that through your team meetings? What is that looking like? How, how are you keeping the why in front of people consistently? Um, some of the things we do, we're, of course, we're constantly preaching and teaching about it. Um, and the other thing I think we've gotten better at in the last 10 years is telling stories of life change. Mm. In essence, mm-hmm. it drives us back to What's really most important is Jesus coming into people's lives and transforming those lives, not only for the here and now, but for the hereafter. And so 
telling stories is one of the things. And it was hard when we started doing that because I can remember years when we'd sit in a staff meeting and we'd go, does anybody have like a, can we think in the last year of a first generation right. conversion story? And there'd just be crickets. Yeah. We'd have to think. Yeah. And maybe we could think about kids being baptized and coming to know Christ. But to really drive the why, we've, we've had to get better at telling stories and encouraging other people to tell stories. Yeah, and that's a good, uh, even just practical, or maybe church leaders that are listening in today, that you might find yourself in the spot where you're like, oh, I just don't know if we have those stories. But there, having led through that kind of experience, it, it there is it becomes a discipline of the church. Hey, we need to be constantly looking for those stories. And you'd be amazed actually when you just get it on your team's radar, how they do start to bubble to the surface. You start seeing them like, oh, right. You end up in a conversation like, oh, this would be the kind of story we should share uh, with people. That's, uh, you know, that's, that, that at least I've seen that pretty consistently. So we've got the why clearly defined. Um, obviously, when you sit in the executive pastor seat, you end up uh, overseeing a lot of different ministry areas. You have, you know, kind of your hand in a lot of different areas. How are you helping your team think through, um, you know, is their area actually achieving the why? Is it actually pushing it forward? How, how do you go about actually maybe, you know, kind of you know, evaluating your various areas? What, what does that look like? Well, we of course we start with tell me how what this what what's missional. So we have some goals and objectives that we're focused on as a church, and uh, a lot of times we call them very important priorities, VIPs, and uh, they're mm-hmm. usually what they what we think is the most important thing that needs to happen in the next six months to year, and uh, so we try and focus in on those things, and then whatever area of ministry you're responsible for. Here, here's where we're going overall. Tell me what your portion of this is going to look like. Talk to me about reorganizing, resetting your goals so that they push towards this initiative. So that's one of the things we do. And then we hold staff accountable for moving forward in those ways. Yeah, that's very good. What is that... Um you know, kind of accountability process look like? So I love the idea of shared goals. Um, obviously, you're keeping that in front of people. What, how are you kind of ensuring down to the granular level that people are actually marching towards that are actually pushing in those in that direction? Well, one of the things we do that, that keeps it in front of people in a pretty simple way, we've, we've been focusing a lot the last couple of years on just inviting people to church, engaging people in conversations mm-hmm. about our faith and so mm-hmm. forth. And so one of the things we do every week in every team meeting, everybody we're asking, okay, who did you talk to this week? Who did you invite? So that's kind of that storytelling mode. And then we keep track of those. And what that does, as we're talking about maybe a specific area in children's ministry, student ministry about camps, it informs that discussion, and it keeps dr- helping people see what they're doing is driving towards those those larger uh, where we're going as a church. And and I think the the one of the the larger you get, the more challenging it is to keep people uh, out of silos and focused together on uh, mm-hmm. projects. The other thing that mm-hmm. we do that's that's pretty important for achieving those initiatives is that we use a lot of cross functional teams. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of synergy if, if you're trying to, to move your small group ministry in some way. If you have people involved in at least reviewing and planning and putting a new plan together that aren't involved in that ministry, because they're able to ask questions and engage in ways because they don't own how that's how that ministry is. They don't have any baggage from 
the strategy or whatever we've been doing in the past, and they can bring new ideas and better focus. And plus, they then they own what's going on in that ministry as well as the people that are going to eventually, uh, that's going to be handed off to them, whether they're uh, volunteers or staff involved in that. Yeah, I love that insight. So one of the things I've seen having led through a church that's, or multiple churches that have gone through that kind of over the 2000 hump and then beyond, there's this weird thing where like under 2000, you know, there's a, there's intense specialization to make the ministry work. But if you stay in that, it becomes silo. So what becomes, what goes from being, like you said, a a strength actually can become a weakness. And that ultimately, I love how you've articulated this. We need to work together towards kind of cross-functional teams. I wonder if you could give some examples, flesh that out a bit more. What would be some examples of in the past ways that you've used kind of ministry team leaders from a couple different you know, areas to help make a, some planning stronger. What does that look like? Uh, well, I'll go back to the uh, the small group analogy, which we we call home teams in our context. And so mm-hmm. we felt like we really needed to engage in a different way with uh, providing groups and enlisting people into groups, helping people get into groups. And so we, we put together a cross-functional team, and the person that was over our groups met, well, of course, we have three campuses, so we have, some of them don't have a full-time staff person involved in groups, but they've got somebody responsible for that. And we purposely, when we were putting this team together, I didn't want anybody leading the team that was actually leading the home team area of ministry to think about mm. new ways to do groups, because I knew that their tendency would be to hold on to the things that we've been doing, that they have a lot of ownership for. Maybe they wrote the curriculum for that new group or whatever. So now ultimately they're going to have to carry it out. But I had somebody else from another, actually it was one of our um, children's leaders uh, that, that led that team and they brought a great perspective to it and they helped not get, they helped move that out of just a silo of something that everybody in the, on, on staff and our volunteer leaders at different campuses over the process of, um, reviewing and gaining perspective and then putting a plan together to revamp things. And one of the things that came out of that that we used last year, which was so fun, we called it uh, home team in a box. So we were trying to get people to get mm-hmm. into groups to start them. And we put together this, basically, if you, I think we provide a DVD or a link to an online um, information so people could utilize that for their groups. And and we didn't try and put people in groups. We just said, you're responsible. You can use, it can be a group you do at the office. It's a group you do in your neighborhood, or you can invite people from the mm. church, but we didn't try and put people in those groups. We just pushed them out, gave them some online training and was wildly successful. But I know that our existing group leaders would have never been able, they wouldn't have been able to think out of the box. Right. To get their heads around to, that. To come yeah. up with that. And that, and there was so much synergy around it. And, um, you know, one of the mm-hmm. fun things about being in my role is to see something happen that you're in the middle of. Uh, the old saying is to see a train move, you don't have to push. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's amazing. Um, all right. So uh, part of this whole process is, you know, in change management, there's this whole question around communication and how do we communicate? What does that look like? I wonder if you have any thoughts around, um, you know, kind of the communication process when we're articulating change, even this using this example of, you know, home groups or home teams in a box. What did you do to roll that out from a communication point of view? Um I think you always, boy, we're always learning how to communicate better. It just seems like you, and particularly when you're trying to communicate change, you just have to think about 
over communicating. And I, I say to the staff often, if we're sick of this or if we're sick of talking about it, that probably means a lot of our people are just figuring out what it is and what we're asking mm-hmm. them to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that means, of course, uh, often it means something from the pulpit, this particular thing. We showed the the uh, home team in a box kits, what it was going to look like a couple of weeks before we actually gave them out. Then we talked to existing leaders. We had uh, small gatherings after services for all of our existing group leaders and for new people. And we tried to explain the process. Of course, we talked to our staff, had them talk to their teams. Every team meeting a month mm-hmm. before this was happening, they were letting people know this is coming. This is something we want you to try. And you don't have to be an experienced leader. We'll help train you. So just you know, all along the process, you know, electronic, digital stuff, as well as uh, face-to-face gatherings. All that was kind of part of the process. And, uh, you know, it probably was a six-week process to make mm-hmm. that kind of a, to to get the kind of response. I think we had like 100, 100 people take kits and start groups. So that, that was pretty exciting. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. I, I love this idea of over-communication and, and the idea of, Hey, if we're just, if we're getting annoyed with it, (laughs) we're probably just starting. You know, the other way I've said that is we're not communicating enough until they start uh, either rolling their eyes or they start making fun of us for it. Um, That, you know, they, they, people, you know, we have to get out in front of them. And I think so, so many times initiatives in our churches, they fall by the wayside because we just get tired of talking about them. If we would have just pushed through, uh, man, there could be great things that can come on the back end of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's so. Now we're in this we're in this season of uh, you know this very strange season. We were just talking about b- beforehand. You know, we're in lockdown. Uh, you know, our what you've experienced. What I'd love to tap is what you've experienced is radical change over you know the number of years you've been on on staff. Uh, it, it, but what we're all experiencing is some rapid change that's taking place in our, in our churches, in our communities, and we're still very much in the middle of it. How, um, you know, what experiences are you drawing from, uh, through the changes that you've seen in the past that are helping you in this season, as you think about kind of what comes next for pathway, as you lead into the future, how, you know, how, how does this season of change kind of relate to, uh, some of the things that you've seen in the past uh, at your church? I think um, just over communicating and trying to make sure that we, we stay together as much as possible. Of course, I've been focused a lot. Um, we were actually out of the country when this whole thing started and we came back and lead pastor and I were voluntarily quarantined the first couple of weeks, middle of March. And then we started even then lots of meetings, lots of online stuff and just trying to keep uh, staff, encourage them. Uh, keep us together. Um, you know, the whole online meeting thing, which we've done some of that, but not a lot of it. And so, uh, honestly, I don't like it at all. It's, uh, it's hard <laughs> to stay connected. And I find myself worn out at the end of a day when I've had four or five oh, meetings yeah. and I've, I've got a headache and I'm just like, but I think yeah. staying in contact with people, reassuring them, we, what we've tried to do in this season is say the most important thing we can do is continue to be as personal and as relatable as we can to one another, to our volunteer leaders, to our teams, and to the congregation at large, to people who are particularly isolated because they're vulnerable or they're sick, and then just 
continuing to follow up and keep those communication loops going over and over and over again. And also just starting to think, okay, we're, we're kind of hunkered down right now, but what, what are the pathways, <laughs> if you will, for Pathway Church <laughs> in the next yeah. 60 days as we begin to move back out? What are some of the options? I want you to be thinking about, okay, what if we can't meet large group, maybe till July? What if we, how do we start with smaller groups? When we move, from, when the, when the um, stay-at-home order goes from uh, no groups larger to, than 10 to no groups larger than 25, what could we do? Uh, so just kind of, because mm-hmm. we think it's going to be a rollout, a slow rollout, and just trying to keep anticipating. And I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and thinking about the three things. And it's hard for me as an old guy, because I kind of want to just, I really love the way things are, but just to keep saying, God, help me to have an open mind, an open heart, and open hands to whatever you want to do. And We've got to keep thinking, but at the same time saying, God, we, we aren't going to know for sure. So let's just try and be ready. And uh, so that's probably been our, that's our strategy right now. Um, and uh, we're mm-hmm. starting to think about a meeting next week. We're just going to be, where do we think we, what are some options for where we think we might be six months from now? We were getting ready to purchase some land and build a building for our, our third site. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably going to be postponed for a while. What do we do to help that campus? So just kind of trying to anticipate mm-hmm. and also just knowing that the land land is never going to be the same. People are never going to come back to church, I don't think. I think, you know, we'd say the average person comes 1.7 times a month. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be really easy for people not to come as much. And I think it may be a while before they feel comfortable coming to a large gathering. So, yeah. um, you know, how do we continue to enlarge our digital footprint, not just for uh, encouraging or building our physical campuses, but just a larger uh, digital footprint for people who may never darken our doors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's all really good. I know, you know, I, I've joked in other contexts that I feel like I'm living in a, um, there's like this weird dissonance inside of me where I'm like, hey, I'm trying to help our churches think through, okay, what is the you know reentry plan going to look like and all that. But then at the same moment, you know, we're going to Walmart picking up the laundry, picking up the laundry, picking up the groceries and and bringing them home, uh, and then we're like washing our our groceries, like disinfecting them and all that. And I'm thinking, what is the distance between me not trusting the Cheerios and then people trusting their kids to put them in our nursery? Like there, there's a long distance between those two things. And so, um, you know, we're, I, I would agree. I think there, I think there is a shift and, you know, the, this shift, the digital, I think is one of them. I think us thinking through how do we, um, you know, keep on, on top of all this health stuff when it actually comes to it, you know, we need to be doing washing stations and that kind of thing. We got to get, you know, we, we may end up having to take people's temperatures on the way in all of that stuff. We need to be thinking through, you had said something earlier that really struck me before we even began around this whole idea around, um, you know, kind of preserving the past. Uh, why don't you comment on that? You know, the church leaders that are that are just kind of wanting it to get normal again. What what were you saying there? And I think, um, and I feel this tension in myself as well, that you hear people say, well, I can hardly wait till we get back together, till we get back to normal. And I think there's a natural part of us that normal means back to the strategies and the how, the way we did things before. 
And just in light of what you just said about potentially what things may look like when people bring their kids to church and so forth, in the future, that new normal, it's not going to be the same. And we've got to go back to what is God's mission in the world in this new season? And the forms are going to have to change. And uh, Mm -hmm. there's a tendency for me, and I think for a lot of us that have been church work a long time, we fall in love with the forms rather than the functions. And so we, and and there's a natural grief process, you know, Yeah. Uh, we've been all about helping people come to these big services. And even though we have multiple campuses and we were getting ready to start some prison ministry, some prison campuses. And, and so we're going, okay, um, we have to die to those things. Some of them that maybe have been a big part of who we are for a long time. What, what does the future look like? And there's part of that, that I, I don't really want to talk about and or go there, but I, I know that's 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 my calling and that's our calling as a church. And the other thing I that I I grieve over, I think there are going to be a, a lot of churches that don't make it, and mm-hmm. uh, that's grievous. And uh, you know, so what is that? What is the new new normal? It's we're we're just going to have to think differently, and we can't rely on the forms of the past to carry us into the new future. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, you know, and I, on that kind of, um, you know, churches that aren't aren't going to make it, I also think there will be, and I, we've actually, I've been seeing this in some of the churches I work with already, we're, we're seeing an acceleration on some of the, um, you know, just the whole kind of merger conversation. Um, hey, can you adopt our church? That kind of thing. Uh, I would suspect we'll see, and, and there'll be churches like yours, I would assume that will end up in those conversations, um, you know, in the coming years. And that, you know, that looks different, right? Maybe that is what, maybe it's smaller campuses, a multiplicity of campuses, smaller rather than larger. And um, so, yeah, who knows? I love that idea of, hey, we're not just, tr- we, we're not trying to get back to the you know, to, to the way it was like, oh, we just wish it could get back to the way it was. It does feel like, and I don't think this is hyperbole, we've gone through a change in some ways that we just aren't going back to. We're not going back to the way it was. And so we've got to, as churches, think really clearly, make those decisions. You know, our job is to ask the question in this moment, what will be, not how do we preserve the past? And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens out of that, because I think there'll be all kinds of really cool innovation come out of that in, in, uh, in churches for sure. Um, when you think about, you know, the kind of the, the, the next horizon, you know, the next year, two years for your church, um, are there any other thoughts around kind of change management that you would kind of leave as advice uh, for uh, listeners who are listening in kind of as we uh, come to wrap up? What else would you share with us as we uh, kind of wrap up today's conversation? Um, I think it's going to cause us to rethink all of our structures and our, our forms. For instance, uh, you know, we've had a really strong student and children's ministry that was driven a lot by summer camp experiences. And, mm. I, you know, uh, even helping my staff, my next-gen teams at the three campuses think through, I mean, they're, I think they're coming in these early weeks to a realization that these experiences are not, one, they're not going to be near as big as they normally are, and they we may not have all of them, and they're going to be different, and they may never go back. So there's a real sense of loss, again, that staff are feeling in this, you know, I've been all about, uh, you know, middle school camp. It's that launching vehicle for our groups and everything we do for the year. So so dying to that and say, okay, God, what is this new ministry going to look like? And so much of what we have focused on 
It's been about gathering. So how do we rethink gathering? Um, again, maybe it's smaller groups. It's less often. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, you know, we're thinking about that. We're thinking about, um, you know, even in our our newest campus, um, are we really going to do this? Or are we going to focus more on a digital option? Um, those are some of the, the, the long-term things. Uh, we were already thinking about microsites and that may become an even more important important strategy. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, what do those true. look like? And um, you know, for me, I kind of thought multi-site and kind of getting that going was going to be my last hurrah, if you will. I'll be uh, 64 this summer, mm-hmm. and uh, although I was telling my lead pastor last week, I said, looking at my 403b, I may be here longer than I thought I was going to be. But Anyways, but (laughs) but I I think it's kind of at the same time, it's scary. It's also kind of exciting because God's going to birth some really new things and things that we we couldn't have imagined. I remember sitting in our office uh, the day of 9-11, praying with another staff member, Mm -hmm. myself and the pastor. And we had just broken ground on a new facility and they were starting the dirt work. We were relocating and wondering what in the world is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I look back on that mm-hmm. and see how God miraculously, we were anticipating borrowing money at seven or 8%. We borrowed money between two and 3%, uh, you know, and God did phenomenal things, miracles. The boy at the time, I thought, I don't know what's going to happen. And it, it was scary. Mm-hmm. And so being patient and saying, God, I, I can make plans and we're going to continue to do that, but I got to trust you in the, in the day to day how you're working so that we can join you in a way that's going to honor the kingdom and uh, bring more people to come to know Christ. And, you know, we just want to stay focused on that in this new, new era. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a, that's a really good word. Larry, I've really appreciated uh, today's conversation. This has been uh, super encouraging and, and I think helpful and practical for people as they're thinking about change. We're all uh, wrestling with change in one, one way or another. It's a timeless issue in leadership. We are, by definition, leaders are moving people from one reality to a more desired reality. But this season, I think, has us all thinking about it even more clearly. Um, if people want to track with you and with the church, what's the best way for them to do that? Where Where can they kind of uh, find you guys and and track with the story of what's going on at Pathway. Sure, just pathwaychurch.com and uh, you can connect with me through that through our site and see what we're doing and and uh, and again <laughs> our website is I mean it's going to somebody's at the other way our new facility is our website. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Larry, I thank you for your time today. Thanks so much for uh, being on this call and for helping. I'm just cheering for you guys in this season. Thanks so much. Super. It's great to be with you, and uh, thanks for time. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com, and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>